Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the message this morning. Lord, I thank you for those who are here. Lord, I thank you for those who are watching, those who will watch later on. Lord, I pray that it's a blessing to them. Lord, I pray as we go through the teaching this week of Revelation, and we look at what we've looked at already as well as what's going to, ha going to happen later, Lord, you would keep these things in our mind. Lord, that you'd keep them in our spirit. Lord, remind us of our hope in you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, let every word spoken be by your spirit. Let us be moved by your presence this morning. We thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing in our study of Revelation. It is a study of the end of days. So you're going to notice today we're going to get a little bit into Revelation, and then we're going to start studying kind of broader, uh, take a look at broader text and Scripture to understand the end of days. If you have questions, and there's bound to be some that will come up, if you have questions about Revelation or end times, you can email me, you can text me. And when uh, what we'll do is, if I get a bunch of those questions, what I'll do is I'll probably take a service and answer just those questions. So there's going to be times, there's going to be services where it's some preaching. So last week we had worship, amen? Last week was awesome. We just had kind of a worship service. It was a little bit of message, but a lot of worship, and that was awesome. And then uh, some other weeks will be preaching, but some will be teaching. Today is primarily a, a, a day of teaching. Uh, we're so glad to see faces that have been gone from pandem pan bleh, pandemic. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, we're so glad to see faces that have been gone, as well as new faces. Welcome to Calvary Gospel. We're so glad that you're here. And we pray uh, that you not only have a good time, but then join us again. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being here. So far, we have covered the seven churches at the beginning of Revelation. And then last week, we saw the, the beginning of the Apostle John's vision of what happens in heaven. So we saw tremendous worship, what happens around the throne of God. We looked at the four creatures. We looked at the 24 elders. So last week was very special because, listen, I, and I already said it this morning, the Bible is clear that we are called to be worshipers. Amen? We are called to be worshipers. It's part of our function. That is our ultimate function. You are called to relationship with Christ, and out of that relationship will flow worship. You cannot enter into true worship unless you have true relationship with God. Hear me. You cannot enter into true worship. It may sound good. You may entertain. People might get the shivers. But listen, I can get the shivers listening to Celine Dion. I can get the shivers listening. I don't know who's another singer out there. Uh, I can get the shivers listening to Adele. I can get the shivers listening to different artists that are tremendously talented but lack the anointing. And you might have all the talent in the world, but outside of the anointing, you're not changing anybody's life. Amen? Listen, we cannot have true worship without true relationship. And seeing the worship displayed in Revelation chapter 5, we saw two things. We saw the Lamb of God, who is also called the Lion of Judah, that is Jesus, take a scroll that was sealed. And here's what happened in Revelation chapter 5, in verse 5. It says this, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Say seven 
seals. With seven seals. Verse 2, And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Verse 4, And I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Verse 5 says this, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals. Verse 6, and it says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Verse 7, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I love how John describes Christ here as both the lion and the lamb. We, we, we see that it's a powerful image of who Christ is, right? He is powerful and yet gentle. He is almighty and yet gracious. How many are glad that he is almighty and he is gracious? I am so glad that he is gracious this morning. As soon as he takes the scroll, we see this tremendous picture of worship that we went through last week. And, and we're not going to go through that again. But this week, we now get to see what happens when the seals are opened. Are you ready to get into it this morning? We're not going to just yet. Before we get into chapter 6, I want to go over a few aspects of Revelation that I believe are going to be very helpful moving forward. So, remember that we are approaching this from a futuristic aspect. There are some that believe the events of Revelation have unfolded throughout history. To some extent, that is true. Uh, the first three chapters are what happened in history, right? But I believe the view of a historical revelation or it all happened as has happened throughout history doesn't really lend itself to Scripture. So here's what I want to do. We are looking at these things from a futuristic aspect, and I want you to go over, I want to go over with you seven things to keep in mind as we go through Revelation. And we're going to start with number one. Go to the next slide, please. Read Revelation with humility. Say humility. We should resist Revelation made easy books. We should res resist any Revelation made easy approaches because Revelation is not easy. It is not easy. It's for, listen, I am fully aware of that just as most of you are, right? Revelation is not an easy book. It's for that reason that I, each week, only go so deep. I only go so deep so that you can digest what's been given. It's a lot. It's a lot of teaching. How many know you can only sit through so much? Right? I've been there. I know, what, <laughs> I know how it goes. I can only sit through so much, right? It takes time for us to understand what we are able to understand. But listen, we will not understand everything. We will not, let me say it again, we will not understand everything. If you're unwilling to live with any uncertainty, I like what this, I like what this commentary says, you're more likely to read into Revelation things that aren't there. 
things that aren't there. Beware of interpreters who appear to have all the answers to even the small questions. Experts, so-called, who claim absolute knowledge about every detail of Revelation should immediately raise suspicion. We can't know all. The Bible says that we are peering through a mirror dimly in this life. Amen? We are peering through a mirror dimly. We can't understand it all. Someday we will. I got questions. I know you got questions. Someday we're going to get up there and say, Jesus, I got questions. And you know what's going to happen is we're going to be up there and we're so enamored by God and so taken in by the glory that all of our questions are going to go away. I got no questions. I just want to be in his presence. Amen. But I got, listen, there are questions. Read Revelation with an open mind. That's important. Be willing to admit that your interpretation could be wrong and be prepared to change your view if the biblical evidence evidence points in a different direction. Be prepared to say, you know what, maybe I'm just not sure. I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but the Bible shows it to be going this way. And that's what we want to follow. We don't want to follow opinion. We want to follow Scripture. Amen? Amen? Come on, are you awake this morning? I know it looks like Christmas outside. I love it as much as you do. Maybe some of you love it, some of you don't. Gary, you love it? No. Will you love it? Yes. Two opposing views. You guys can argue about that at lunch today. (laughs) Snow versus no snow. Read Revelation with an open mind. Amen? Read Revelation with humility. Number two. Try to discover the message to the original readers. Try to discover the message to the original readers. Discovering the message to the original audience is the top priority in any book of the Bible, including and especially Revelation. The first Christians were blessed for obeying Revelation. Revelation 1.3, they were blessed. And the book is described, listen, as an unsealed or open book, even for people living in John's day. So when it comes to reading Revelation, the tendency is to ignore the first Christians and just jump to, what does this mean for us? That's what we do with Revelation. Well, you know, they lived back then, but we're here now. So what does it mean for us? Don't do that. We must understand what Revelation meant for John's day in order to understand what it means for us today. Revelation is tough. Number three, don't try to discover, listen, a strict chronological map of future events. Revelation does not progress in a neat, linear fashion. That's not what it does. The book is filled with prophetic, apocalyptic visions. Okay, It's some pretty heavy stuff from some pretty interesting, dramatic... It's written sometimes for the dramatic impact of the reader not to present a precise chronological sequence of future events. This is how it's going to happen. Boom, 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 right? It doesn't always happen that way. We don't always see it that way, and we shouldn't always take it that way. Number four, take Revelation seriously, but don't always take it literally. Take it seriously, but don't always take it literally. When we try to force literal interpretations on picture language, listen to this carefully, we run the risk of perverting the author's intended meaning. We don't want to do that. We don't want to mess up what the author intended 
And so we are not going to try to force little literal interpretations on picture language. Number five, this is big. Pay attention when John identifies an image. Now, when we look in Revelation, we're going to see a lot of different images, a lot of different imagery. In Revelation 1.17, it says this. Uh, it's not up there, but stay with me here. Revelation 1.17 says that one like the Son of Man, how many know like the Son of Man? That's Christ. Okay? In 1.20, the golden lampstands are the churches. The lion is the lamb. The dragon is Satan. The heavenly Jerusalem is the wife of the lamb or the church. John is not shy about using the same image to refer to different things. And so here's what we see. We see that John uses the image of a single star. Now you would think the single star would mean one thing. It doesn't. Single star means God's agents of judgment. It means Jesus. There's things that mean different things, right? So the images mean different things. In the same way, listen to this. This is interesting. The picture of a woman. So when he talks about a woman in Scripture, it could mean a false prophetess. It could mean a messianic community. It could mean a harlot city or an empire. Or it could mean the bride of Christ, right? And so when John says this is a woman, it could mean four different things. We have to be careful in our interpretation. Even though John is free to use images to refer to different things, we should still pay attention when he identifies an image. So, number six, look at the Old Testament and historical context. We cannot read Revelation without looking at the Old Testament and historical context. We can't do it. Why is that? Revelation uses language at three different levels. They are these levels. One on a text level. What, is, what do the words say? That's text level. Two is a vision level. What are the images that are painted? What, are, what is John painting for us? What is he showing us by his pictures? Number three, reference level. What the vision refers to in real life. What does the vision refer to in real life? One of the hardest parts of reading Revelation is trying to understand the images. One of the hardest parts is knowing what the images and symbols refer to. And so even when we understand what's happening at a text level and at a vision level, we may not understand what's happening at a reference level. Listen, I like what this pastor says. We usually know what Revelation is saying, but we're often not sure what it's talking about. We often know what it's saying, but we also don't know what it's talking about. The two places to go for answers are the first century historical context and the Old Testament. I like what this says. This is uh, written by Zondervan. I want you to listen to this carefully. How many know this isn't preaching, this is teaching this morning? Are you staying with me? If you're falling asleep, I'll wake you up. I'm just kidding, I won't do that. Some of you guys work hard, that's good. According to Zondervan Handbook of the Bible, it says this. I want you to listen to this carefully. The first Christians lived in eager expectation of Christ's return. The first Christians, the early Christians, they lived in eager expectation, Susie. But 60 years after the death of Christ and the resurrection, it still hadn't happened. It still hadn't happened. 60 years. And so persecution was increasing. Some were beginning to doubt. So Revelation's letters to the churches and the book as a whole are needed to encourage the believer to stand firm. 
God is in control no matter how, may, how things may look. Christ is not the emperor. He is the Lord of history. Amen? He has the key of destiny itself. And he is coming again to execute justice. There is a glorious, wonderful future for every faithful believer, especially for those who lay down their lives for Christ. The first century Christians, they, they're like, yeah, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. 60 years later, it still hadn't happened. Now we're 2,000 years later, right? 2,000 years later, and we know that it's coming. We see the signs that it's coming more and more and more. But God is giving us a, 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 an encouragement, an inspiration to say, here's what you can look for, here are the signs, and here's what will happen. Number seven, last one, focus on the main idea and don't get lost in the details. We can get lost in the details of Revelation real easy, right, Steve? We can get lost in the details and we can miss the main idea. We don't want to miss the main idea. The main idea of, of Revelation 4 and 5 has to do with worship, has to do with the exalted Christ, has to do with Lord being on the throne, amen? We don't want to get caught up in the little details. We could get caught up in, man, there was four creatures, and one had a picture of a, a, a face like a calf, and the other one had a face like a human. The other one had a face like a lion. I mean, what does that mean? So we can get caught up in the small things and miss out on the big things. Let's not do that. When reading Revelation, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. Amen? Amen. All right, so... I bring up these seven points, especially as we go into chapter 6 and beyond, because by most accounts, we are seeing in these chapters a picture of what will happen during the period of time known as the Great Tribulation. Now, some of you guys just perked up a little bit because I said Great Tribulation, and you're like, man, what's he going to do? talk about Great Tribulation? Let me give you a glimpse of how the tribulation begins. So we are back in Revelation. We are in chapter 6, and we're going to begin with verse 1. And it says this, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Remember, there are seven seals on the scroll. And so now we're seeing the Lamb open the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, come and see. Go to the next verse. And looked and I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. He went out conquering and to conquer. Now, who is on the white horse? We're going to discuss that. This is the beginning of what is called the Great Tribulation. This is the beginning of a period of time. You say, what exactly is the tribulation, Pastor David? What, what does that mean? For some of you, you've grown up in the church, you grew up in teaching, you understand what the tribulation is. Some of you may not know. So let's explain it. What is the tribulation exactly? This is a seven-year period of time where there initially will be peace and prosperity, but will turn into incredible suffering and devastation. Say suffering, devastation. Peace, prosperity, suffering, devastation. In order to understand this, in order to understand what's happening here, 
we have to step away from Revelation. We're going to step away from Revelation, and we're going to go back a bit into the Old Testament to look at the book of Daniel. And specifically, we're looking at Daniel in chapter 9. Now, without getting into the, don't, don't go to the scripture yet. Go back. Here is what we look at and we see what's referred to as the 70 weeks prophecy. Daniel is praying for the people of Israel in chapter 9 when the angel Gabriel comes and gives him a vision of the future. And here's what happens. Verse 20 through 23 says this. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Go next slide. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, a man, Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, had caused to fly, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Go next slide. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Go next slide. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Understand the vision. Go next one. The 70 weeks. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Listen, this is the purpose of the 70 weeks. To finish the transgression to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, here's where we need to stop for just a minute to explain the Hebrew language. We're going to read about, okay, so we have a combination of weeks here. We're going to read about a combination. The combination of weeks is going to equal to 70 weeks. But, is 70 weeks actually means 70 weeks? Well, the answer is no. The Hebrew word for weeks is the word sabuah. Say sabuah. It means a period of seven. So it can, it can refer to seven days, it can refer to seven weeks, or it can refer to seven years. So in this passage, sabuah, or the term weeks, means seven years. So we're talking about times seven. Now, what that means is this. When we look at verse 24, 70 weeks, we're talking about not 70 weeks as we would look at 70 weeks, but we're talking about 490 years. 490 years. 70 times 7. 490 years. So that word sabuah, when it comes in there, when he says 70 weeks, he's talking about 490 years are decreed about your people and about your holy city to finish the transgressions, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. How many are waiting that for that? Come on. How many want to be free and put an end to sin? That's a good thing, right? Everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Go to the next slide. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, that's the beginning point. From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat 
but in a troubled time. With squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Verse 26 says, And after the 62 weeks, or the 62 sevens, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. An anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. Now, in case you're not aware, the anointed one that is cut off is Christ. So from the period of the restoration of Jerusalem until Christ is at the cross, there is a period of 69 weeks or 69 sevens or 483 years. Now, without going into all of the explanation of all of it, uh, go to the next slide. I want to show you a graph. Daniel's 70 weeks. So what we have here is there were 70 years of exile, 49 years of rebuilding the temple. That was seven weeks. Understand what I'm saying? 49 years, seven sevens. So seven, 49 years was seven weeks. 62 of those weeks is 434 years. The period of time leading up to the Messiah. There is only one week left. When we look at prophecy, when we look at history, we see the church age and what's called a prophetic gap. Now, there's some interesting theories about this, but we're not going to get into all of those. What I want to focus on is the last week. This last week, this, this last seven, we have one more seven to go. We are looking at the last week in prophecy, and we see this in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 9. And it says this, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Listen to this carefully. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Go to the next slide. And he shall make, listen, a strong covenant with many for one week or one period of sevens. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Say desolator. Say, Pastor David, what does desolation mean? Pastor, uh, it, desolation means despairs. Those who are despaired. So the desolator is one who causes despair. On the wing of the abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The prince, how many know who this is? The prince who is to come, as described in Daniel, is who we refer to as the Antichrist. It is the Antichrist. Now, we're going to get into some interesting things about the Antichrist. Jesus references this passage in Daniel, but he references it in Matthew chapter 24. And he says this in Matthew 24, 15. When you see the abomination of desolation, that's what we just talked about. When you see that spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Verse 16. Then... And, and here's what he tells people to do. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 17, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. 
Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation. He is saying, listen, if this happens when you're there, run. Do you hear that? If this happens and you're there, he says these things. He says, those who are in, in Judea flee, flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop do not go down and take what is in his house. Get out and get out as fast as you can. That's what he's saying. He's saying, pray that your flight may not be in winter or Sabbath, for there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and will never be, or never will be. This last period is a period of seven years, and it begins with a covenant that is made. You say, Pastor David, what's the covenant? The covenant is a peace agreement with the nation of Israel and its enemies. The broker of that agreement is the Antichrist. The broker of that agreement is a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and its enemies, and the broker of it is the Antichrist. Now, <laughs> The question comes up, and it's a big question. Where will believers be during this time? Where will the church be during this time, during this tribulation? So we believe that tribulation is coming, right? We, we, we see scripturally clear tribulation is coming. We believe it will be a time of great suffering. And we believe that at an appointed time, say appointed, at an appointed time, the church will be raptured. Now, what does rapture mean? This is another one of those words that if you grew up in church, you grew up knowing what this is, it's pretty easy. We know what rapture is, right? Now, if you didn't grow up in church, that's okay. That's, the, the, that's why I'm here. So, I want to make this very clear to all so that they can understand it. The word rapture means this. It means to be caught up in bliss or ecstasy or to be caught up in heaven. Okay? That is where we get the word. The word rapture is not in any part of your Bible. You should not look for it because it's not there. It's not in any part of your Bible and it's not in any part of my Bible. Right? It is a Christian phrase that we got from looking at this next verse. First, Thess First Thessalonians. 4 in verse 16 says this For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first after that we who are still alive and left listen will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Somebody say amen. How many are glad for that day, right? So that phrase of being caught up is where we get the Christian phrase rapture or being raptured. Have you ever heard of somebody say, I've been enraptured? Not saying they've been raptured, but they said enraptured, they've been taken over by bliss or ecstasy. 
Being raptured is the same thing. It's being caught up into heaven. So as believers, we believe that one day the Lord will come, blow a trumpet, and we will be gone from this world and at home with the Lord. Amen? What a day, what a glorious day that will be. Amen? Come on. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. You say, Pastor David, when will that day be? Now, here's the interesting thing. When I was a kid, I was a kid in children's church. I'm going to do this, but this is not a good idea. When I was a kid in children's church, this is not a good idea. <laughs> I got all right, Tina, can you see us? Everybody turn around, wave at the camera. Say, hi, Tina. <laughs> She's right now. Tim is shaking his head, and Tina's like, oh, no. <laughs> okay, so when I was a kid, hey, you know what, Eli, come here. Yeah, it's not so smart for me to do it, but you can do it. Come here. Go ahead and stand on that chair. Okay, so here's what we would do. Can you imagine? First of all, imagine me doing this afterwards. Raise your hands up in the air, Eli. <laughs> I know. Okay, now jump off the seat with your hands still in the air. We would call that rapture practice. <laughs> it was the uh, I'm not saying it's the dumbest thing in the world because it's children's church. You just kind of do some silly things there. Do it again, Eli. Come on, let them see it one more time. Hands up in the air, and everybody would yell, rapture practice, and they jump. Oh, we did a lot of things like that back then. Do you think I should try it? <laughs> John McMurtry. I'm going to break a chair, man. I can't afford it. <laughs> oh, I kid. Eli, thank you, Eli. Give him a hand. He did a good job. Right now, he's got his fist clenched. He's just, Dad, I'm going to get you. When will that day be? Pastor David, when is that day going to be? When are we going to be caught up in the clouds? Now, there's something uh, you should understand is this. When Jesus comes, when he comes, it says this, that there will be the sound of a trumpet, that there will be the voice of an archangel. Right? That's what it says in Thessalonians. It says a trumpet call. The voice of an archangel, a loud command. These are the things that will accompany Christ. These are the things that will accompany our Savior coming to take us. And the question is, when? Maybe it'll be before the tribulation. People, people who believe that would be called, it's called pre-trip. Or tribulation pre-trip, right? Before trip. Then there's some people who say that would be in the middle of the tribulation. That's called mid-trip. Then there's people who believe it will be after the tribulation, and that's called post-trib. So post, after, trib, tribulation, right? So when will that be? In order to fully understand this, in order to fully examine this and make sure that we have a clear understanding of the question, I'm going to take the time to go through the different theories and how they line up in Scripture. So are you with me? We're going to take each theory and then look at how does it line up with Scripture. And we're going to do that 
next week. <laughs> Let's call it cliffhanger. We're going to do that next week. Stand with me this morning. It's going to take some time. Listen, uh, again, we're going to look at the different theories. We're going to look at the Antichrist more in focus next week as well, uh, who he is, where he comes from, uh, what he's going to do. We're going to look at those different things. We're going to look at the, the tribulation, the pre-trib, post-trib, uh, mid-trib theories. And here's what is important. When we looked at the seven tips for reading Revelation, we want to read it, one, with humility, right? With an understanding that we don't have all the understanding. Amen? But what we'll do is look at Scripture and how Scriptures lend itself to those different theories. And then we look and say, all right, Lord, lead me. Amen? Because ultimately, that's what we have to do is be led by God. Amen? In line with Scripture, of course. So, if you would, pray with me this morning. Lord, I thank you for those who are here those who have been a part of this teaching in Revelation, in Daniel, in Matthew. Lord, we know that there is something coming later on. We know that there is something coming in the future. We know that there is a time coming called the Great Tribulation. Lord, regardless of what the theories may be, whether pre, mid, or post, here's what we know. We know that it is more important than ever to have faith in Christ. We know that should the day come when in the twinkling of an eye we are taken from this place to be with you, we want to be in right relationship. We want those around us to be in right relationship. We want our family members and our friends who are lost right now to be in right relationship. And so, Lord, I pray that this week, this month, this year, in this pandemic that we're in, we are given an opportunity to speak to those around us of your love and of your grace and of your glory. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning, those who might say, Pastor David, I'm not quite sure if I would go. I'm not quite sure of my relationship with God right now. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor David, I just... I wouldn't say I'm unsaved, but man, I, I just, man, I've been messing up. I need to get right. I need to become righteous. I need to do the right things in my life. You say, that's me. If you would, would you raise your hand just a minute? Just for a second. Say, I need to get things right. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor David, I've never asked Jesus into my life. I think I know everybody here, but maybe, maybe I don't. And if you say, Pastor David, I've never asked Jesus in my life, but I can tell that he is wonderful and powerful and almighty and gracious. And I would love to accept him as my Savior. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? Good. It means we're all good here this morning. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, I thank you for those who are here. I thank you for those who, who say that they, that they just need some things to fix. Lord, I pray that you would move in their lives, move them towards righteousness in Jesus' name. Lord, let us move forward in wisdom in Jesus' name. Let us repent from our sin and turn 180 degrees the other way and move forward towards your glory. Lord, I thank you for those who are here and those who are watching online. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. 
Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen.